This is the Moira Pentecostal Church Podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2016. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Go straight into God's Word this morning uh, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Uh, this is where we were last Sunday morning and we're returning again. So just give you a moment to find it and we'll just read a few verses together while I take a sip of water. So Hebrews 9, reading from verse 19. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, He took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins." Therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. And he would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once, at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Amen. Amen. Uh, Last Sunday morning, we talked about the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and how important that subject is to every believer. It's something that should be dear to all of our hearts. It's something that uh, probably after many years of following the Lord uh, that we kind of just are not so conscious of it. We know about it. We understand it for the most part, but we're not so conscious of it. But it behoves us to be conscious of it and to think about it and to understand what it does. And so the very first uh, sharing on this last Sunday morning, we talked about uh, forgiveness of sins and how the, the blood was the provision for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, We talked about the Old Testament, the shedding of blood in the Old Testament uh, regarding the Passover lamb that was slain and the blood was on the doorpost and the lentils that was sprinkled there. Uh, We talked about the high priest going into the most holy place and sprinkling the blood before and on the mercy seat. Of course, we likened all of that to Christ, who was our supreme sacrifice, our living sacrifice, the lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. And we said specifically, particularly, how the blood uh, cleanses us from past sins. Uh, We know in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, that sin shall no longer have dominion over you. So the blood has cleansed us of our past sins. Aren't you glad for that, that they're wiped out, that they're gone forever, never can be brought up against us forever? Thank God for that. But what about present sins? Well, we just read a scripture there that Christ now appears in heaven for us. He's our intercessor in heaven for us. So if we sin today, that we've got someone in the glory in heaven at the right hand of the Father that we can go to, confess our sins, and be completely forgiven. But then what about the future? 
Well, we know according to the Scriptures again, and in 1 John 1, 9 and 1 John 2, 1, we have a propitiation in Christ, the atoning sacrifice in Christ, and He is the one who is our advocate in heaven, the Bible says. And so the sin question has been dealt with. And then on Sunday night, uh, we, we mentioned not just about forgiveness of sins, but fortitude, the blood, the provision of blood for fortitude in our battles. And in Revelation chapter 12, uh, I think it's verse 11, uh, we mentioned there about they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. The him being, of course, Satan, uh, the devil, that old dragon, uh, Lucifer as he had been. And we read from Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14 and talked about Lucifer in the past before he fell and became Satan and uh, um, the devil and the dragon and so forth, all the names that the Bible calls him. And how that the blood of Christ uh, gives us victory over all the works of the evil one that would come against our lives. Aren't you glad for that? And so we're, we're not naked before uh, an infernal foe. He, he's a, he, is a, he is a great foe. There's no question about that. Who deceives the whole world, the Bible says. But when he comes against us, he's coming against the blood of Christ that covers us. And then this morning, another provision of the blood of Jesus is fellowship with the Father. Fellowship with the Father and then fellowship with the Holy Spirit, and then fellowship with the saints of God. You don't need to turn to this, but in Isaiah 59 verse 2, tells us how things used to be. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins has hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And so there was at one time a great gulf between us and God, our sins had hidden him from us. But now, it's different because Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You know, there was a time, for most of us at any rate, there was a time in our lives when we could go very, very long periods uh, weeks, months, maybe years, with not one thought of eternity or of Christ or of the Word of God or of church. Not one thought, furthest thing from our minds. Why? Because we were separated from God. There was a great gulf fixed between. And many of us, for the most part, were happy with that. We didn't want God in our lives. We didn't want somebody ruling our lives, owning our lives. We wanted to be ourselves and do what we wanted to do. But then, since we have been brought near by the blood of Christ, there is not a day goes past when we do not think of eternal things. We do not think about the Lord Jesus Christ or the Word of God or prayer or the house of God. It's always there every single day. It's like breathing to us now. What a difference from us who were once afar off, but now we are brought near by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad for that today? That's the reason why we think about these things. That's the reason why during the day your mind begins to flit away towards heavenly things and eternal things and the Lord Jesus Christ and the house of God 
and we're singing and we're making melody in our hearts unto the Lord. Why? Because the blood of Jesus Christ has brought us near to him. In Ezekiel, sorry, not Ezekiel. Uh, in Exodus chapter 24, I want to just show you something here. Just to illustrate this. Exodus chapter 24. Verse 1. Now he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, and Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Sort of mentally underlined that, and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. And so God gives a very specific direction to the 70 elders, to Nadab, to Abihu, to Aaron, and to Moses. And the specific direction was that Moses, they were to come, but only so far, and then Moses was to leave them, and he was to go alone to meet with God. So Moses came, verse 3, so Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has said we will do. And so God spoke to Moses and gave him instructions and had conversation with him probably about the things regarding this tabernacle that was to be built and, and all the measurements and all the materials and how the design and the, 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 the dimensions and all the rest of it, plus many other things. But God was getting into great detailed conversation with Moses apart from them. Remember, now they're separated here at this point. And so then when he's finished, he comes and he talks to them. And all the words of the Lord has said, we will do, they replied. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. And he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Now, remember we told you in the first session how that the blood, it was not enough for it to be offered. It had to be applied. It was not enough for it to be shed. It had to be sprinkled. Something had to happen with it. And so here we see Moses doing what we read in Hebrews chapter 9 a few moments ago in our opening scriptures. Moses took half the blood and put it in basins and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. Then, note this, then Moses went up also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, but it was like the very heavens in, his, in its clarity. Now, did you notice? Did you notice the separation here? That the elders, Abihu, Nadab, Aaron could only go so far until blood was shed. 
And once the blood was shed and sprinkled, once the blood was offered up and applied, then and only then could they go forward and see the Lord and get that glorious experience of being in his presence and seeing under his feet as if it was sapphire stones. But note that blood had to be shed for them to get the entrance to come before a holy God. Christ's blood had to be shed for us so that we could draw near to a holy God, so that we could have entrance into his presence. When you think for the most part in the Old Testament, what they had to go through, you know, they had to bring sacrifices. They had to come on certain days at certain times and certain ways. There was ritual, there was ceremony, and it was very strict and very prescribed, and they could not deviate from that in order to come into God's presence in that way. For the most part, that's how the Israelites had to approach a holy God, because he was holy and they were sinful. But aren't you glad today that you and I, through the shed blood of Jesus, sprinkled on the doorposts and lentils of our heart, has cleansed us so that we can come into the presence of God. We can fellowship with the Father at any time. We can bend the knee. We can raise a hand and say, Lord God, I come before you today because of the shed blood of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, has cleansed me, has washed me, and I can come into your presence. You couldn't do that in the Old Testament but we can in the new. Why? Because of the blood of the Lord Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 15, but the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and into their minds I will write them. And he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no more longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, having boldness, having confidence, not in ourselves, but in the work of Christ, having boldness to enter by the holy, enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way, not the old way, but a living way, a new way, Christ's way, his sacrifice, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart. That's a good way to draw near to God, isn't it? With a true heart. In full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Wonderful, isn't it? That right now, because of what a Christ has done, we can have an audience of one with Father God at any moment of the day. Driving along in your car, lying in your bed in the evening, when you get up in the morning, during the afternoon, maybe a few moments at lunch hour, whatever, you can come into God's presence and you can say, Father, I thank you that you have given me this wonderful privilege that I can come before a holy God with boldness, with confidence, not in me, but because of what Christ has done for me, has given me that place to come. That throne of grace is open to me 
24-7. Isn't it wonderful? What a privilege that we have got. Aren't you glad you live in the New Testament, not the old, <laughs> as good as it was? But this is so much better for us, isn't it? In John chapter 16... Well, let's read from verse 16. Uh, Jesus speaking to his disciples. He said, A little while, and you will not see me. Again a little while, and you will see me, because I go to the Father. Some of the disciples said among themselves, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will see me. And again a little while, and you will not see me. And because I go to my Father. They said, Therefore, what is this that he says? A little while. We do not know what he is saying. Couldn't get their head around it. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, and he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Most assuredly, I say to you, that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come, and as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. Now note this. In that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy and may be full. Now, it's very, very difficult for these disciples of Jesus to understand what he was saying because it wasn't even on their radar at all that Jesus was going to leave them, never mind come back. Uh, it was not a thought in their brain the very idea they'd walked with him now for over three years, and they could speak to him personally. They could touch and handle him. They ate with him. They walked with him. They could have a private interview with him at any time. You know, he would take them aside, or they would take him aside. And now he's talking about going away. They just did not understand. What is he talking about? Why would he go away? I mean, it was, sorrow, it was bringing sorrow to their hearts. We, we, would, we would miss him so much. And they didn't need to, to ask the Father about anything because Jesus was there to supply all of their needs, to answer all of their questions, uh, to have a relationship with him. That was all they wanted. It was all they needed. What could be better than that? But Jesus said, there'll come a point when I will go away. But you can ask the Father in my name, and he will give it to you. You don't need to do that now because I'm here. But when I go and I'm no longer in your grasp, I'm no longer in your sight, when you no longer touch me, all you have to do is go to the Father in prayer and come in my name. Now, the name of Jesus is not some kind of an abracadabra thing. It's right and it's good 
if we come to the Father and say, Father, I come to you in Jesus' name, that's wonderful. And most of us would do that in prayer. But his name is his authority. His name is his entrance for us before a holy God. We come in not our name or anyone else's name, but in his name. He's the one who made the way open for us, and only him did that. So he says, you can come in my name. I, I won't be here. You won't see me or feel me or touch me or hear me, my voice again physically, but don't worry about that. <laughs> Just come to the Father in my name. What a privilege that we have today to be able to come to the Father in Jesus' name and know that we can have that entrance and fellowship with Father God through his Son, Jesus. And it's the only way we can come to him through Jesus' name. That's the provision that the blood has made for us. So you see, the blood is so, so important in our lives. It opens so many doors for us that were shut to us that wasn't possible for us to go through. But now the way has been made open because of the blood. So now we can come to the Father in Jesus' name. And he will give it to you, he said. He will delight in doing that because we believe in his son. We have trusted his son for our soul salvation. We have trusted his son for eternal future. And that pleases the father heart of God. He loves us. We love, he loves us because we love his son. We love his son. We want fellowship with his son. And we have that, but that has given us an entrance into the father's presence like nothing else ever would or could. But then what about fellowship with the Holy Spirit? How does the blood come in here? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter 6. The Corinthian church had all kinds of big problems, really. You know, they were fighting, taking each other to court, <laughs> getting drunk at communion. I mean, it just, it just was just full of major, major problems. And in the midst of all this, there was sexual immorality that Paul really, really had to, uh, to take them to task about. Uh, and he comes to verse 15 of 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, by the way, just let me just pause there. Just pause there for a wee second. Uh, I notice while I'm speaking that some of you are putting your coats on. So I understand that it's a little bit getting a little bit cool. Uh, Johnny and I have been talking during the week. There is a little problem in here. I mean, the heat has been on here since 6 o'clock this morning. But the problem is that there's a radiator down there. There's two over there behind those partitions, and we're not getting any benefit from them because they're blocked up. And not our fault. We have nowhere to put stuff, so it had to be. So we're talking about maybe having to go to a plumber and maybe having to get some more radiators in, maybe underneath those benches some way, just to get a little bit more heat in because this building cools down fairly quickly, as you notice. The heat's still on, by the way, but it cools down quickly, and that's because there's no heat in here all week. 
It's downstairs, but not upstairs. And so it, it drains very, very quickly. So if I see you putting your coat on, it's in my head, it's saying it's a little bit cool. That's why they're putting your coat on. You're not getting ready to go. At least I hope you're not anyway. <laughs> so I'll, I'll give them another five minutes and then I'm out of here. But, uh, so let me just make that clear, all right? So we're, we're working on it. So don't be, we're, we're, we're having to work on all these things. All right, uh, got a little bit distracted there with that. So where were we? Verse uh, 15. So then Paul says, because of this sexual immorality, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he is joined to the Lord, is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. And we know what that price is. Peter said... We were bought with a price, not with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb slain. That's what Peter said. So we know what the price is. The price was the blood. That's what bought us. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The reason why we can have fellowship today with the Holy Spirit is for no other reason than the blood has made that possible. The blood has made that possible because we are bought with that price. So we're no longer our own. We belong to him. And the Holy Spirit is the one who comes into his temple on earth. What is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible makes very, very clear. We are the place where the Holy Spirit resides on earth. He's not out there in the ether. He's in us. And we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But that cost Jesus his very blood for that to happen. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would fall upon people and, and they would do wonderful, tremendous exploits. But in the New Testament, he comes in to indwell us, to live inside our spirit. And it was only the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, that paid the price for, ha for that to happen so that God could allow His Holy Spirit to come and indwell us. And that's why Paul is saying, listen, you are indwelled by God's Holy Spirit. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Flee immorality. Don't let something stain that. Don't let something pollute that because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we can have fellowship with the Holy Spirit continually, all day. Let's read a little bit more in John chapter 16. Picking up again that thread that we read a few moments ago, John 16, uh, verses 5. Jesus said, But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you has asked me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. 
Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. They couldn't understand Jesus was going to go away. Sorrow had filled their hearts. And then Jesus complicates a little bit more in their minds and said, actually, this is good for you. This is going to be to your advantage. Now, how in the world, they were thinking, could this possibly be an advantage that you're going to leave us? We, we just can't get that. But he said, if I don't go, then the helper, the parakletos, the one who's called alongside to help the one who's just like me, only he shall be in you. If I don't go, he can't come. I must go so that he can come. And trust me, believe me, it will be a great advantage to you for me to go so that he can come, so that he can be in you continually all your time on this earth. So don't worry, don't fret, don't fear, don't be upset, don't be confused. When I go, I will send the helper. That's a great name for the Holy Spirit, isn't it? The helper. When you need help, you've got a helper. You've got one that you can talk to. You have one you can lean on. You can one can go to for advice. You can one who can quicken you. You can have one who can give you guidance, the helper. And Jesus said, it's better that I go. My physical presence leaves you so that the helper will come and be in you. That will be a great advantage to you. All of this, again, is made possible because of the blood. And then in verse 12, he says, I have still many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said, he will take of mine and declare it unto you. What a privilege that we have that we can fellowship with the Father and that we can fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Do we fellowship with the Father? Do we fellowship with the Holy Spirit? Now, when it comes to prayer, when it comes to public prayer, there is a way when you're leading in prayer that you're conscious that you're leading in behalf of everyone else at that moment. And so therefore, there, it's not that it's a formula, but it's, it's a little bit different than you and your private prayers. And you and your private prayers, you're a little bit less formal. Now, I don't mean flippant. And I don't mean loose or reverent. You know, God's not a pal or a chum. He's a holy God. But he's given us 
entrance into his presence through the blood of his son. But we can talk in conversation. Prayer is conversation. Now, I know, and I'm not saying this is a, in any way as a criticism at all. Please don't misunderstand me. But the older generation among us would be very well used to saying, I come before thee, thy, O Lord. Simply because we've been brought up to read in the Elizabethan language of the old King James. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not criticizing that and it by any manner means at all. That prayer is a conversation. And that these and the thou's may not necessarily make any difference. It's her heart. You could say, I come before thee, thou Lord. That's wonder. Or you could say, I come before you, you Lord. I mean, it's just words. You know, it's just English language has changed. But it's the heart. It's the conversation of the heart. And you could be driving along in your car and, and with your eyes wide open, and you could just be having conversation with the Lord. And he hears that, and he welcomes that. Now, I'm not saying you should change how you pray. Whatever way you pray, if that's the way you're comfortable with and that works for you, who am I to say, change that? I wouldn't dare to do that. What I'm saying is, it's conversation. And it's holy conversation. And he hears he hears the whisper of her heart. And sometimes it's, it's not even words that comes out over her lips. Sometimes it's just an expression in her heart. And sometimes there's situations where you haven't time for a big, long, detailed prayer. Peter didn't in that stormy sea, Lord, save me. And sometimes we shut up quick prayers, don't we? Because <laughs> there's no time for anything else. You get into you get into that for that job, and you're going to be sitting before that panel. And yes, you prayed a lot about it before you got there. But as you go through that door, you have no more time for a big long prayer. You say, oh, "Lord, help me, help me. I need your help." You get into that bank manager and that solicitor. Lord, I need your help. Give me wisdom. And the Lord hears those simple conversational prayers. What about fellowship with the Holy Spirit? What about the benediction that you've heard so many times and now the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit? Paul writes that at the end of his Corinthian letter. And the fellowship, or the communion, it may say in your, of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Paul's saying, listen, the Holy Spirit resides in you. He wants fellowship with you. And I'm praying that you'll have fellowship with the Holy Spirit, that you'll know the love of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's a wonderful benediction, isn't it? It really is. When you think about it, it's a wonderful benediction. In fact, if you just read Paul's benedictions in these letters and thought about them just for a little bit, they're wonderful. They're tremendous theology, actually. 
It's not just to be postscript, not just by. No, it's wonderful. But what about then fellowship with the Father, fellowship with the Holy Spirit? What about fellowship with one another? In Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, Well, let me read from verse 14. And he, he, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore by putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to those who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we have access by one spirit to the Father. There's something happens to us when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ in true repentance and we get born again of God's spirit. Because not only then is our relationship with God vertical, but it becomes at that point horizontal also. Why? Because we belong to the body of Christ, the family of God on earth. And so we cannot separate the two. If we have fellowship with the Father, fellowship with the Holy Spirit, of course we have fellowship with the Son, but also with one another. Because you are the body of Christ and you're members of that body in particular. Each and every individual, one of us, has a role within the body of Christ. So we can't separate it, the head from the body. It's joint, spiritually, it's joined. And practically, organically, we are joined <coughs> together in Christ Jesus. That's the clear teaching of the Scriptures. Now, there is vast differences within the body of Christ. Whenever you go anywhere in the world where you meet other believers, and one of the fascinating things and, and one of the fun things, actually, is when you go to other parts of the world and you worship with other believers is to see how different it is. And it can be very, very different. <laughs> I remember one time many, many years ago, I said, you're going back here 30 years ago, more than 30 years ago. Uh, the church that we belonged to at that time uh, sent me and another fellow from the church to England to do some meetings. And we were in a little place called Sparkbrook, Birmingham. Uh, I was never in Birmingham in my life before that time. Certainly never was in Sparkbrook. And we arrived about two hours earlier uh, to this little building away down these streets, and we waited till somebody arrived. And we noticed as they were going in the door, every one of them was black. And I mean really, really black. Jet black. <laughs> and I'd never ever preached before a black congregation in my life. So me and the other fella 
got out of the van, we were on a minibus and got in. And the whole evening, there were only two white faces in there. And it was fascinating. And one of the reasons why it was fascinating for me especially, because when I got up to preach, and whenever I was preaching, somebody at the back would stand up and wave a hanky, big white hanky at you. I thought, what in the world's that? I'd never seen this before in my life. And then somebody over there, they would get up and they would wave and say, preach it, brother. And I nearly lost my place. Thinking, where was I there? I just knocked me all for six. It was so different. And then there was this lady, and she had a tambourine. And I tell you, no lie, it was as big as a dustbin lid. <laughs> it was massive. I never seen a tambourine as big in my life. And she banged that thing. And then you go other places, and it's totally different, completely different. Uh, John Williamson, who was speaking at our men's night just a, a few weeks ago, Brother John, we have known him for many, many years, again brought up in the same church, and he's now built a big church for 1,200 people. He's eight, 800 come to his congregation. For years, he had about 120 come. Then he built 100,000 houses around him. And he says, they're all coming. But he says, now spot the white man. <laughs> he says, there's about five of us. He says, there are Indians, there's Tamils, there's Nigerians, there's all kinds of Africans. He said, there were all migrants coming in. And he says, they all came to us because there's no other church in town, only us. We were the only place there. And they come, and they're coming in their hundreds. So he says, we had a problem. The problem was, what kind of worship mode would we adopt? Because the Indians and the Africans, he says, are different as day and night. Their whole music is different. So he says, we had to compromise and come to a North American style of worship that we could all join in. Otherwise, he says, half the congregation who, who would have been Indian would enjoy their style, the other half would enjoy their style, and never the two would have met. But it's different. That's the body of Christ all over the world. But we've got a common denominator. We're one in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now listen. This big event coming up in June, Moira Big Weekend, where five of the six churches in town has got together to agree for Christ's sake to do an evangelistic endeavor in the park. Our brothers and sisters in the Brethren Hall, uh, they were asked if they wanted to, to get involved. They declined the invitation for what reasons best known to them. But at least there's five churches now are going ahead. Now listen, there's not two of those churches, not two of the five, has got the same form of government within their church. Not two. There's not two of those churches out of the five has the same style of worship. Not two. There's not two of those five churches believes exactly the same when it comes to the second coming of Christ. And on and on you could go. But all of us, believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Amen. All of us believe that his blood washes us clean. All of us believe that he is coming again. We disagree on the how and the when and the where, but we agree he is coming again. And on Thursday night, about roughly 50 people from the churches met together here. That we it was our turn to facilitate this. We were the first in line to do this. Met here to pray together for one thing, for Christ to be glorified in June and for precious souls to come to the Lord. And for those of you who came, wasn't it absolutely wonderful? And so many people from all the churches got up and prayed 
and said their prayer. Johnny led it for us. That was the plan. Johnny got up and introduced it. And he said, like we said at the weekend, listen, we're praying for one thing, so don't worry about repeating the prayer. Somebody will pray your prayer. Will you go ahead? The Lord wants to hear your prayer. And that's exactly what happened. Much of our prayers was much the same in the sense that we had one aim, but they were different in another sense. But what a wonderful... Do you know, in the 30, this is our 37th year here, this has never, ever happened before. Never. I doubt if it's ever happened in the history of the churches and wherever. So this is a big thing, even to get churches to come together for prayer. It's a big thing in this town, let me tell you. Whenever we came here at the start, and I should be putting this on CD, would you pause that, Martins, for a sec? <laughs> Don't want to get sued. <laughs> Our Bible-believing church is here. And, and thank God that the vision is to come together. Now we don't know what's going to happen. We're trusting that God will move. We're trusting that souls will be saved. We're trusting that lives will be transformed. That's the aim. That's the goal in all of this. And it's not to promote any of our churches. And that's why it's good that we're all coming together to do this. And that will speak to our community. It really will. So that is all made possible because of the blood of Christ. Because it's only the blood-bought and blood-washed who wants to do this. There'll be others who will not come. There'll be others who will not get involved. Fine, that's okay. But we will. And there's a oneness and there's a unity in this. Now, some of you who came on, on Thursday night, you felt that. You felt there's something happening here. There's a unity a purpose and spirit in this to do this. Now, it'll be different. But what I'm looking forward to is that first that time and that Sunday morning when all of our churches, rather than meeting in our buildings, will go to the big tent in the park and we'll all join together and we'll praise and worship together and we'll listen to the word together and we'll listen to the choir together, Grace, and we'll do all these things together. And that'd be wonderful. It's never, ever, ever happened in the history of this town. Surely God can take that and use that for his glory. Eh? And it's all possible because of the blood of the Lord Jesus has washed us and cleansed us. And at long last, <laughs> listen, there's lots of church buildings in Moira, but there's only one church in Moira, the church of the firstborn, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only church that counts, isn't it? And out of all the buildings will come the church of the firstborn, and we'll meet together on that Sunday morning, and we'll praise and we'll worship the God together. And let me tell you, God will be pleased. And the Holy Spirit will be pleased and Jesus will be exalted in the midst of all of that. Isn't it wonderful? Glory to God. Fellowship with the Father. Fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Fellowship with the saints. God willing, tonight I want to just at least one more time continue. I want to speak about another provision of the blood. Freedom from our fears and our failures. All of us fears, all of us has failures, but there's freedom for us through the blood of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.